on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of Naughty Talk. I am Sunny, she, her, and I'm going to be talking about hypnosis with several guests on the show today. And today's episode is a little bit special because it does actually include a real trance that was recorded and does include a lot of hypnotic language and a real hypnotic induction. So for your own safety, I recommend not listening to this episode while you are driving, operating machinery, or doing anything where significant focus is required. Those California vibes can only mean it's time for our West Coast correspondent, Enigma. All right, next up, we have Enigma, he, him, and recently we've been calling him our West Coast correspondent. However, today we are here to talk about something a little bit different. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Technically, I'm still the West Coast correspondent. I'm just, I'm the one being educated this time. So uh, it's definitely a bit different of a conversation than last time. Absolutely. Don't worry, you are not losing your title. <laughs> the job is yours. You're it's hired. It's mine. It's mine. Yes. Official title granted. Um, <laughs> so normally you are doing the educating, but recently we were having a conversation and we were talking a little bit about your newly found curiosity about hypnosis. And um, we started to have a chat about it, and you had the excellent idea that we have the chat on the show as an episode. So it's a little unique, almost like a little bit of like reverse interview. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but I mean, tell everybody if you don't mind why hypnosis or what sparked your curiosity. How did we get here today? Uh, so the the most recent one. Uh, the most recent reason that like it kind of reinvigorated the the inspiration is I'm going to have to kiss your butt a little bit is it was listening to uh, in season one, you read, I think it was the first chapter in your turn the key book. And um, I have to say you're a very good orator and Thank you. you're welcome. It, I don't know if you want this comparison, but it's also how I got my favorite serial killer. But anyway, um, I'm a little a, bit of a sadist, so it's okay. Okay, there you go. Uh, just someone who was a very good orator and like re- reading the transcript from a serial killer. So anyway, um, and so I was reading reading that series, and then it, that got a lot of like wheels turning in my head. And um, in our talks, like I, I've because the universe works this way, I started seeing pictures, and I sent you one of the ones that I found where someone either is CGI or uh, yeah CGI'd or um, tattooed or whatever, but they had like a key in their like upper chest area. Yes, like embedded under their skin on their sternum. And I was like, oh, I know who to send that to. (laughs) 
but I, you know I, me. I, I do. Uh, but yeah, I, I think with a lot of people, like growing up, I, I remember in high school, my high school band, like we were at a competition and then all the bands went and saw a show and the, the main event was a hypnotist. I don't know. This was like a late, uh, early 2000s. Like there were like, it was a big thing, like uh, the show hypnotists uh, going around and like hypnotizing crowds of people. And I don't remember exactly what he made people do, but it was the ridiculous thing, you know, like make people act like they're a chicken and um, like stand on one foot and that sort of thing. Were you just watching or did you volunteer? I was watching. My girlfriend at the time did not let me uh, volunteer because she was absolutely terrified of the entire process. Like it was something like she was crying about later of like mind control. And yeah, so that was like, I think my first like in-person um, interaction with hypnotism, at least showman hypnotism. And and then, like I said, like, you know, fast forward, like, you know, I've seen it in movies, I've seen it in TV shows. I think I, I even uh, recommended to, a book to you that had technically hypnotism in it, but it was, mm-hmm. I've listened to the show. And so I know that it's <laughs> like, there, there are aspects like that aren't like, y- you can't turn somebody into an assassin who is just a regular school teacher necessarily because you're, you're not triggering things of like, you know, things that that person would not do normally. Yes. Seeing that in the big wide world is really what kind of um, has kept the kind of curiosity. And then there are people in LA that are here. I am the West coast correspondent. (laughs) Um, There is very much a hypnotism scene in LA. Um, I don't know how, um how active it is post covid but i know that th- that it exists and there are people who are involved in that so in the long-winded way that that is kind of where my curiosity of of hypnotism has has kind of flowed through the years that's a great story and i'm super flattered that my writing made you interested mm-hmm. so that's super fun and I always love when people are like, I tried this new kinky thing because I read about it in one of your books. And I'm like, yes, this is such a win. (laughs) Love it. But, you know, it's not something that I talk about it a lot, but I actually had kind of a, you know, fuck no response when I first thought about hypnosis for the exact same reason as you did. My thought was, how can this possibly be consensual? And Mm -hmm. it's not something that I talked about a lot on the show, but Hypnostory and Panda Pet really mentored me in hypnosis. And I have said quite a few times that now they've created a monster. And sometimes that monster gets turned loose on them from time to time now. But yeah, so I stumbled into one of their classes and I watched this scene. They were doing blank space, which is sort of like a like a TV remote pause button for the subject is sort of a way to describe it. Okay. And that allows you to have the feeling like you're teleporting around the room and your clothes are disappearing. And they did a lot of cool stuff in the class, but I couldn't wrap my ra- my mind around the consent piece. And they're very good at explaining it. Mm-hmm. They always go over it in their class, but it was just the first time I had ever been exposed to it. And so I went home from that convention And I just could not get it out of my brain. Like I couldn't stop thinking about it for like, I don't know, three months. And then finally I sent them a message and I was like, I took your class three months ago. I can't stop thinking about it. I have to know more. And, you know, they do a lot of teaching. So they kind of reached back out and offered to do Zoom call with me to talk one-on-one a little bit more about it. And then, you know, I mean, flash forward now we're great friends and 
you know, we're in a pack and all that good stuff. But I I had that same initial response that you did. And I think it's a common one. So I'm excited that we're talking about it today. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely excited to kind of, you know, dip my toe a little bit more seriously in, into this. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. All right. So I guess we're kind of turning the tables. I haven't really been like interviewed on the podcast, no. but I feel like it's a little bit like a kind of a reversal <laughs> here. So um, go ahead and ask your questions and I will do my very best. And hopefully Panda and Hypno Story won't be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she should have had us do this episode. <laughs> um, I'm sure they'll give you all the shit later. Yeah. So you kind of you poked me yesterday and was like, okay, like give me some questions. And then like, I, I did have a little bit of trouble because I, this is, this is weird. Cause I like, I, I feel like I'm a very experienced kinkster. I've, I've been in the scene for almost a decade, but I've never really done this. And so like, I, I was, it was kind of hard figuring out what to ask. Like I wasn't sure exactly where to start with it. I, I did get down a couple. So the first one is what are you doing with the person's mind to put them in a suggestible state? Okay. So I think that this question, what it really boils down to is what even is hypnosis? Like what's happening when you do a trance? And um, as I said, you know, often hypno story, I see him field these questions and he usually cracks a joke about putting like five hypnotists in a room and asking them what is hypnosis and getting five different answers. And then they like fight mm-hmm. it out. Actually, I don't know if it's in his version, if they fight it out, but I'm primal. So I kind of <laughs> imagine like a physical mm-hmm. sparring. But the truth is that, you know, scientifically, there are some conflicting explanations and different points of view. So I am not giving the one true answer here, but I I did really think about this question and see if I could sort of break it down into the most important parts that most people sort of generally agree on. And I think that one of the important things to mention is that the hypnotist is not doing something to the subject. So they are actually helping the subject, guiding the subject to do something with their own mind. And I think that the the best analogy I could really think of was, you know, the the subject is the one driving the car and the hypnotist is kind of like the GPS and they're saying, Hey, you missed your turn. You might want to turn right here. You might want to turn right here. <laughs> like, I wonder if we t- should have turned left back there. But, you know, the driver ultimately can accept or reject that suggestion. They can decide if they're going to go down that path. It's one of the better analogies that I could think of. And sort of breaking it down, you know, I think we should touch on sort of like what the states of consciousness in general are. Okay. And so the conscious mind is the part that people are sort of familiar with. It's the part that lets you have thoughts and feelings that you're aware of on a daily basis. It allows you to make decisions based on reasoning and logic and things you're observing in your environment. And then, you know, there's this other part of consciousness, the subconscious, um, also sometimes called the unconscious, which is, I think, the fun part, (laughs) where thoughts, feelings, and memories are sort of there. They're present, but they're tucked away. They're hidden from the view of the conscious thought. So things like habits or things that you do on autopilot without thinking about them are driven by this part of the mind, the subconscious part. And so um, things that we repress can sometimes fall under this category. And really, humans do a lot of things really naturally in a trancey kind of state. So 
if you've ever driven a really familiar path in your car, kind of going back to that analogy and you know, it just kind of feels like you were driving on autopilot and like one minute you were starting your car and the next you were arriving at your job and that's the route you drive every day. And your brain isn't like fully processing all the things that happened between point A and point B. That's very similar to the state that your brain feels like in in hypnosis. It, it's almost sort of trancey. I do it when I write. I allow my brain to kind of sink into the story and play the story that I'm writing in my mind. And I almost step into my character's body and experience what the character is experiencing in a way. And for me, that's a a type of trance. So people's brains know how to do this sort of naturally. And it's really about sort of harnessing that. So to get kind of back to your question, when we do hypnosis, the hypnotist is guiding the brain Sometimes, but not always, using a really deep state of relaxation. But generally, what they're doing is they're turning the focus of the subject's mind towards the subconscious. So it might involve things like reducing conscious awareness of the things that are going on around them, you know, in the space around them. And with the focus of the mind shifted to the subconscious, it allows the brain to be more open to outside suggestions because the hypnotist isn't really speaking or giving direction to the alert conscious decision-making part of the brain. They're making suggestions directly to the part of the brain that tends to act a little bit more automatically. And that's what makes hypnosis play so fun and allows the subject to have the experience, really both um, the test and the subject to have the experience that almost a little bit of magic is going on. Um, but it's not magic, it's science. maybe it's a little bit of both it certainly feels that way sometimes it's it's magical science yeah it's magical science oh my gosh panda and hypno story are gonna kill me they're gonna be like magical science like what the fuck even is that you can blame it on me it's fine just blame it on me it's fine i'm trying not just to quote you two i'm trying to use my own words (laughs) (laughs) you know but that said you know, the subject's brain is wired to protect itself. If the GPS suggested that you drive off a dock into a lake, you probably wouldn't do it. And it's the same kind of concept. So, you know, something that's going to put the subject really at risk or ask them to do something that's really unlike them, you know, generally people's brains are going to automatically, without any practice, just sort of nope out of that and be like, whoa, wait, that's not safe. I'm not doing that. Generally, the things that are going to really work are the things that the subject really enjoys and wants to happen. And sometimes that's at a subconscious level. So it might be something like outwardly, like I would never want to do a dance in front of a lot of people, but secretly (laughs) in your subconscious, your brain is like, yeah, I got a little bit of exhibitionism. And if I could just be released from some inhibitions, I might really love Mm -hmm. that. So, you know, sometimes you're getting at somebody's desires that are a little bit more deeply buried. But, you know, that's why when you are giving suggestions, people are unlikely to really act against their self-interest in terms of safety. But sometimes things that would normally be prevented by conscious emotions like embarrassment, but aren't particularly harmful, or maybe at some secret level people enjoy because they like a little bit of humiliation. That's where you get people on stage doing the chicken dance. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I I remember... From that one specifically, the the guy, like now that I'm thinking about, I'm remembering bits of it. But like he like he brought like I don't know ten fifteen people up on stage, and then like I guess he did some sort of test and like kicked off half the people. Like he figured out who was a little bit more suggestible 
to what was happening, I guess. And then the rest was just like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess with you. Yeah. And really, you know, I mean, I wasn't Mm -hmm. there, but I suspect what was probably happening was that the people who got booted were probably the people who were like, you can't trans me (laughs) because, well, I mean, the reality is that if somebody's like, you can't trans me, you can't like they have free will over their brain, you know, consent is involved in this process. So when you're doing a show and you want to have these fun, spectacular results, it's not really fun to have somebody up there who's only up there to prove you wrong and who doesn't want to like go along for the ride. So Certainly, there are other factors that can make it, you know, easier or more difficult. Mm -hmm. And generally, those factors are, you know, within the subject and, you know, what they really want to happen, that sort of thing. I have a harder time dropping into trance than other people sometimes because I'm a control freak. And it's not because my brain doesn't do wild, creative, really fun things. It's that it's very hard for me to internally, you know, spoiler alert, (laughs) everybody's shocked, shocked that Sunny is a control freak you know, it's hard for me to let go and I can still get there. And it it took me a little bit more practice. But what I found is that when I do it with somebody that I really trust and we've had a good negotiation, I am able to kind of let the process happen. And so, yeah, if anything was getting in my way from enjoying that experience, it was not the skill of the hypnotist. It was myself getting in the way of myself. (laughs) That makes sense. I don't think that people are you know, generally like just like born suggestible or not. I think that there are a lot of other factors that that wouldn't be the the way I would describe it. All right. Fire away. All right. So <laughs> the next question, um, something that I see a lot out kind of, I, or at least I hear talked about are hypnotic suggestions. I'm, 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 I'm getting words now. Hypnotic suggestions that you can use later. Um, so like, you know, you can trigger somebody to orgasm whenever you snap your finger or you can have them kneel anytime they hear a certain like keyword or whatever. Is, is it a different prep for that kind of suggestion, that kind of hypnosis for that kind of thing that's going to happen later? So what you're referring to is actually called a post hypnotic suggestion. And it's something that happens when the suggestion is given during a state of trance and then does not play out until a later time. You know, in some cases, it could even be, you know, days or weeks later, depending on the situation. So generally, any suggestions that we're using during play are going to have the same prep in that they're all going to require consent and negotiation up front. That's the first thing that happens. So, you know, the process is not terribly different in a a technical sense for how the hypnosis happens, but, you know, the prep is really different. So, for example, you have your consent and negotiation and, you know, then the next step is really you're doing an induction, um, which is the technical term for helping somebody drop into the state of trance. And you can actually do trance without induction, but I'm giving you a really kind of basic cliff notes version. Um, you know, for prep for a hypnotic scene, consent, negotiation, induction, drop the person into trance, and then you're giving your suggestions. So when you're talking about a post-hypnotic suggestion, something that's going to happen later, and actually, um, before I go any further, I'm just going to go ahead and actually give a little extra content warning that fancy language incoming, and there's going to be a little bit more of it. Yeah, listen to the rest of this one when you're relaxed and at home and sitting on the couch and... 
Um, the trance is not intended for anybody who is listening. You can choose to not drop into trance if you're hearing trancey language, but again, just as a precaution, especially if you've never heard it before. Yeah. So anyway, post-hypnotic suggestions. It's something like the next time you put on that red dress I love, you'll have an orgasm. So the negotiation is really going to be the part that's very different because somebody might not want to have an orgasm if they say put on that red dress and then like have dinner with their parents, you know, or wear it to an office meeting. So the things that are a little bit different that you're negotiating are does the person even want to have any suggestions with triggers that will take place at a later time at all? Or do they want them to all be cleaned away, washed away during the space of the play session? Um, So that's the biggest thing to negotiate. And then the second piece is really just in the language that you use when you're giving suggestions. So you want to be really specific about things like under what circumstances the thing will happen. And you can totally build in language to make it safer. So for example, instead of saying something like, the next time you put on that red dress, you'll have an orgasm, you could say something like, in the future, when you wear the red dress and it's safe and appropriate to do so, you'll have an orgasm. So you can be really specific about the circumstances under which the trigger can take place. You could also make it more person-specific. And this is really important if you're using like a trigger word or something. A lot of people don't want to have an orgasm every time their colleague at work says banana, (laughs) you know. So you can sort of mitigate that. You can use language like, when I and only I say the word banana at any time in the future when it is safe and appropriate to do so, you'll have an orgasm. So the prep is is not so different in that you go through consent, you drop somebody into trance, and then you start to give your suggestions. The prep is different in the negotiation. What are we doing here? You know, when will the suggestion expire? Is it something that will just happen one time? Or is it something that you're hoping will last for a really long time and be used over and over again? Going to be an open suggestion where anybody who says the word or does the thing can trigger it? Or is it going to be really like person specific? All of that is really important when you're doing that kind of prep. So if it's something that's going to be around a little bit more longer, is that something where you kind of have to like reset the trance? Like if you use it regularly enough, it, it, it's it's going to stick regardless. So I would never say regardless. I would say it really depends on the person and the dynamic. And, you know, some people, if they really want something to stick and be consistent, it does require some repeat hypnosis, a little bit of conditioning. And sometimes if something you know, like especially in a situation where two people do a lot of hypnosis together and they have a really good rapport and a lot of trust and they're doing this sort of thing on a regular basis, it might not be quite as hard to switch out the specific suggestion that you want them to keep. You know, so the more skilled really the subject is, you know, the easier it is to do complex things with hypnosis and the easier it is. Um, Notice I said the subject (laughs) because it is, it's something that you have to practice and people get really frustrated when something doesn't happen like magic the first time they try it. But that's also a really good thing, you know, with time and practice and, you know, learning to have a little bit of agency, which is, I think, something we're going to talk about, you know, as that progresses, more fun things can happen, things can last longer, they can pop up later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, really, a regular immediate suggestion is something that you would give in a state of trance that says, like, in a moment, I'm going to snap my fingers. And when I do, you'll have an orgasm. And 
post-hypnotic suggestion is, you know, at this time in the future, when I do this thing, under these safe circumstances that we've consensually negotiated, this thing will happen. All right. Another question of all the ones that I'm slowly thinking of. Uh, what are what are some of the dangers to playing with someone who is hypnotically suggestible? So like, like when you're doing impact, there are certain things you need to keep in mind for uh, maybe somebody who is new, like maybe maybe there are health concerns, like I know what to think of for impact and like what questions to ask, but like what are kind of the dangers to getting into hypnosis? Yeah, so first I would say I would personally move away from the language of saying, you know, dangers to playing with someone who is suggestible okay. because under the right circumstances, anybody can do this. Okay. It's not, you know, that some people are suggestible and others are are not, um, which is a really common misconception. So I'm really glad you brought it up and we're talking about mm-hmm. it. But in terms of risks, you know, I would say that those are really the same for anybody who's engaging in hypnosis and like any risk aware consensual kink <laughs> and to get my, my little soapbox out, the risks can be mitigated through good negotiation, the use of safe words and planning. So before we get into the specific ones, you know, risks can be mitigated by what we call bottom agency, which is the bottom actively rejecting suggestions at will that they don't want to accept. And, you know, like we talked about, this will happen pretty automatically for most people in cases where, you know, the person's safety is at risk. Most people you know, will come up and out of trance if a fire alarm goes off, for example, because that's something that's so hardwired to respond to that that would absolutely snap, you know, many people out of trance. Um, and I say many people because somebody will be out there saying, you know what, there's always the exception to every rule, Sunny, and that's true. You know, humans are individual, brains are individual, but Bottom agency is actually something that you can practice. You can play a game where you are doing fun and silly and, you know, very light suggestions. In When I say light, I mean things that aren't like edgy or, you know, very emotionally charged, just fun and silly things. And you can practice rejecting them. And that's a really good skill to have if you're going to do a lot of hypnosis bottoming. There's this deck of cards called Zebu cards. They're really fun to play with. They have Ericksonian language patterns on them, so they can help you really get used to both being a hypnotist using language patterns that are really effective for hypnosis. And in the course of playing with them, they can also be a really good thing to use if you're going to play a game where you're practicing bottom agency and rejecting suggestions. The other thing is... Um, automatic safe words. So I like to say things when I'm doing trance, especially with somebody new, drop them into trance. And then I'll say something like, and your safe words will remain accessible to you at all times. And in fact, if you need to use one, they'll just come automatically out of your mouth at any time they're needed. And so yes, while, you know, there are lots of layers, it's like a Swiss cheese model of protection, lots of different layers where you can nope out, you know, the sort of automatic, this doesn't feel good, I'm going to come out of trance and nope out the conscious rejection of suggestions with bottom agency. You can also do things like build in automatic safe words that will just happen on their own. And this is, you know, this is not a full introduction to hypnosis class, you know, you should totally take one, everyone should take one if they're interested to really like dig into detail and, and practice some of the these things, but these are just a, a few considerations. So now that we've talked about kind of prep and mitigation strategy and negotiation, you can, in fact, trigger a negative emotional reaction when you're doing a hypnosis scene. That is always one of the risks. And, you know, mitigation, 
when you're negotiating, talk about things that you want to avoid. If somebody has major phobias, for example, um, if someone's afraid of small spaces, you probably don't want to ask them to imagine that they are trapped in a box. Unless, of course, fear play is their thing and they think that's hot and you've negotiated yeah, it. But of course. you don't want it to happen by accident. Right, yeah. <laughs> don't want to accidentally put them in an imaginary box. Yeah. Right. Um and I'll, I'll make fun of myself. You know, one of the things with hypnotic language patterns is that when somebody is um, in trance, their brain doesn't always process negatives correctly. So sometimes when you say, don't do this thing, all their brain gets is do this thing. And so when I was first learning, HypnoStory said, I really don't like closed spaces. And... <laughs> I wanting to do, you know, right by them and be really, you know, conscious of that said immediately said something like, you'll drop into trance and at no time will you feel like you are locked in a tight and closed space. Uh-huh. You know, but because I was practicing with an experienced hypnotist and hypnotic subject, he immediately just rejected that suggestion and it didn't stick and nothing happened. So, you know, yes, you can mitigate risk by practicing your language patterns, really, you know, thinking about with intent what you're going to say, but also, you know, just being aware of those limits. And almost anything that you can do in a kink scene, you can recreate with hypnosis. Mm-hmm. So, some of that negotiation is going to be really similar. Like if you, you know, you don't like impact or you don't like fire, you might say, I don't want hypnotic impact or hypnotic fire. For some people, those things are very aligned. Where the extra negotiation comes in is that sometimes people want to experience things hypnotically because they feel like it's safer than experiencing them physically. And so you might have a really clear discussion about I would never have somebody hit me with a baseball bat for real, Mm -hmm. but I've always been curious what it would feel like because I'm into heavy impact and I'd like to try it hypnotically. Those types of discussions can happen. So negative emotional reactions can happen. You just want to be aware of the person's limits, cautious of your language patterns because you don't want to accidentally suggest the opposite of the thing that you're aiming for, that sort of thing. The other big thing to consider is um, what we call fractionation. So when somebody goes in and out of trance a lot, their brain gets sort of squishy. You hear people call it hypno fucked up. And instead of coming, you know, sort of all the way up and out of trance and being totally clear headed and then back down and having those two things be very distinct, Mm -hmm. the more you come up and down and the more rapidly it happens, the more those two things become kind of squishy and overlap a little bit. And so that's what we were talking about earlier with a kink convention. When you're in that space, suggestions might seem to stick a little bit easier. So you might not like want to walk through you know, the vending section of your kink convention where people are like, hey, um, I bet this harness would look great on you. And you're like, yes, yes, it will. <laughs> yeah. You know, I bet you could really use one of these beautiful, expensive pocket watches. Mm-hmm. You know, you might leave with a lot more swag than you intended. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of a thing. Um, but also because being fractionated can feel a little bit altered, I definitely recommend that you wouldn't do things that you would do if you were tipsy, um, like having had alcohol, that kind of thing. If you wouldn't get behind the wheel and drive when you'd have alcohol, you know, you probably wouldn't do it when you're fractionated. So it sounds like it's similar to what someone, some might feel when they go through sub drop, where they had all of this intense interaction in a kink scene and so now their brain is very much like a pile of mush and so therefore they shouldn't try to do some more like complicated things or like they shouldn't try to put themselves into a situation where 
um, they might be taken advantage of, whether whether it's like at a convention or not. But just it, it sounds like it's a similar state of mind. Yeah, it's definitely very similar precautions. And I mean, some people would argue that when they you know reach a really intense like subspace, that it feels like trance to them. People who have experienced mm-hmm. both, that's not a, an uncommon thing to say. This would not be the best time to negotiate. You know, you might do another hypno scene within the boundaries that you've negotiated at the beginning before anybody was in trance. You might keep playing, but this would not be the time to, you know, negotiate, oh, let's try this new thing that we've never done before and we haven't negotiated consent for. Just like you wouldn't like do a super intense impact scene and wait till someone was like in super, you know, deep subspace and then be like, can I hit you with this implement we've never talked about before? It's really the same thing. How am I doing? <laughs> no, th- this is all very, very informative. I, I'm, I'm definitely fascinated with this. Um, and so I, I think uh, the, the, the logical, like the end of it. So since this is often used in kink play, and so that's, and like I said before, that's kind of where my experience of it kind of comes from. Is the aftercare different for hypnoplay than it would be for like a like a impact scene for a fire scene for just like like a regular kink scene so you know just like negotiation and what you're going to do during your scene is highly individual so is aftercare and i mean that's the same for any kind of kink whether it's hypnosis or not so whatever people feel like they need and often i recommend even negotiating especially once you start to know what you're going to need to negotiate in advance. But I don't think it's very different in that way. The The one thing that I would add that might be special is like we were talking about, if somebody's in a really fractionated state, mm-hmm. you know, maybe just making some time to have some conversation or take a nap or cuddle or, or just hang out and do something that is not too intense and give them plenty of time to feel themselves um, and to no longer feel altered before they, you know, for example, leave for the evening and get behind the wheel of a car or something like that. And um, same thing is like if you had had a couple of glasses of wine, you would want to wait till you were completely sober before going anywhere or making any big decisions. Um, and so that can be part of the aftercare. And sometimes, you know, the hypnotist um, can look after the subject a little bit, but also to be aware that sometimes when you're doing a lot of trance and you're used to, you know, what that feeling of trance feels like, and you've been using a lot of hypnotic language, sometimes the hypnotist can actually also feel a little bit fractionated or altered. Okay. Well, I mean, that, that's a good point. Like it's, it's something we talked about in um, this kink circles is like the top needing aftercare too. That's definitely important. Yeah. And and you actually said something when we were having a conversation about this before the show, which I thought was a really good question. And you said something or asked me something that sort of equated, you know, hypnotist to top or dom. Mm -hmm. And so I always like to point out that those things are actually not synonymous. They're not interchangeable. So the hypnotist and the subject can be on either side of the slash. And so, for example, if a submissive partner, if an S-type is the hypnotist and does a trance, one, you know, like their dominant partner could say, I and my domly dom voice command you <laughs> to trance me. You know, to you could do it as an act of service to provide pleasure to your dominant. Mm-hmm. You could do it because you have, you know, been instructed to do so. The dominant could create the whole scene and decide exactly what's going to happen and then ask the submissive to make it happen. Mm -hmm. 
And so in all of those situations, you know, the submissive partner, actually the hypnotist, which is in contrast to the classic example people think of where the the tist is the dom or the top. I mean, this is a whole, (laughs) whole other episode. But just the idea of there are certain acts, a lot of the acts that happen within the kink world, don't necessarily the act itself isn't really dominant or submissive it's the energy that's being exchanged um like i know a lot of people are it's like oh if you go down on your partner that means you're the submissive it's like no maybe me the dominant likes to go down on my partner because i like that control and power and whatever the interaction is so Mm -hmm. yeah i I definitely think that's a very important thing to to talk about for sure yeah and also that if you're in a headspace where you're like I am the domly dom. <laughs> and I can pick at this because I am mm-hmm. <laughs> I am the dominant myself. Right. I am the domly dom and therefore I cannot be the subject. You're probably going to suck at hypnosis because I really strongly feel personally and others may disagree with me, but to to understand what you're asking somebody else's brain to do, it's like really useful to know what that actually feels like. And so if you've never experienced being in a trance, you know, to then try to trance somebody else, it's a whole different ballgame. So I really encourage people to release themselves from like any preconceived notions that if this is your role or your kink dynamic that you can't do, you know, tisting or be the subject. And you know. What? Oh, it's almost like we're setting something up here. (laughs) No. The best way to really learn about hypnosis is to give it a try. Um, oh, so so I should be coming to New England. Got it. Okay, I can I can get there. No. <laughs> well, you know, the really fun thing about hypnosis is that you don't need to be in the same space. So if you what? would like to give it a try, dropping into trance, <laughs> we could actually do that on the show. I would love to. Side note, we did negotiate this a little bit beforehand. I'm not surprising Enigma. Oh my God, (laughs) I am so surprised. What are you doing to me? All right. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of just to disclose to folks listening, this is your first trance ever. You've never tried this before, right? I have never been hypnotized before, no. Okay. And you have not been coerced in any way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to hide this check. No, I I have not been coerced at all. Or this um, <laughs> this pocket watch. I wasn't like, <laughs> you know, I bet you would love to be <laughs> on the show as a hypnotic subject. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, um, no, I, I've definitely not been hypnotized before the show. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but it's a good time to review and also so people can hear what a negotiation for this type of thing might sound like. So generally, you know, I will say something like... You know, are you interested in trying some trance play? Yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll say, great. You know, how about, you know, I'm the hypnotist and you're the subject. (laughs) That sounds like a great idea. I'm being silly, but, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the negotiation. Who's doing what? Do you want to do trance at all? Just like any other kind of play, you know, you want to negotiate. um, And we've discussed that. We're going to do up and down, and we're going to do something called a convincer, which is a really simple suggestion, things like, you know, arms floating up or feeling heavy, that sort of thing, just to help you feel what it feels like to receive a suggestion and then back up, Um, and that it's going to be non-sexual in nature. Does all of that sound good to you? Sounds fantastic. Excellent. How about a stoplight safe word system? 
That sounds good. Excellent. So red for everything ends, yellow for pause to communicate. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Excellent. Is there anything in terms of themes with, you know, imagery or just anything at all in particular, it's going to be very simple, but that you'd like me to avoid? Um, Nothing comes to mind. Okay. No surprise fear of heights, tight spaces, <laughs> any of that stuff we talked about. I mean, I don't think you're going to talk about them, but, you know, just don't bring up snakes and, and I think we'll be good. That's a great yeah. one. Yeah. I was not planning yeah. to, but, you know, if we were doing more than just down up, that would absolutely be something that you would mm-hmm. want to share. Yeah. So there we go. We have our little, uh, little negotiation. Mm-hmm. And when somebody is doing this for the first time, I like to just be really transparent about exactly what's going to happen. We're not doing any amnesia play where we're involving memory. There's not really any big surprise. So the way that it will go down is I was planning, if this is okay with you, to just do a really classic sort of pocket watch induction. Okay. Because I feel like that's what everybody imagines when they think of hypnosis. It's definitely the, the stereotype for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, in a minute, you know, I'll bring out my pocket watch and um, we can actually see each other right now because we're on video. And so you'll be able to see my pocket watch um, just so folks who are listening know what's going on. And I'm going to do my pendulum thing with the pocket watch and I'm going to ask you to just allow your gaze to fix on it and to follow it. And then I'm going to guide you into trance. Sounds good. Before I actually start, when our negotiation is done, I always like to say, are you ready to drop into trance for me? I am ready. All right. Can you see my pocket watch? Yes, I can. Uh, mine is actually shaped like a heart. It reminds me of my stories. <laughs> now you know what my, my private pocket watch looks oh, like. Oh, I'm, I'm um, honored. All right. So this is the concept of eye fixation induction. So I'm just going to have you go ahead and let your gaze rest on the pocket watch as it swings slowly back and forth. That's right. And as it swings back and forth, Just focus on it and the sound of my voice, allowing the room, everything around you, any thoughts or worries to simply fade away until all that is left is the swinging of my pocket watch and the sound of my voice. That's right. And if your eyes begin to feel tired or heavy and you want to just let your lids droop down all the way down, that's fine. And you'll just remain in a relaxed and comfortable position with your body comfortable and supported in your chair, sitting upright as you feel more and more relaxed following this pocket watch and just allowing your eyelids to droop down as you sink down, all the way down, all the way down. That's right. And sinking deeply down into trance. And it's okay if your eyes close because you can still see my pocket watch swinging back and forth in your mind. It's there just swinging sort of relentlessly, never stopping back and forth, holding your focus, holding your attention as you sink all the way down, deeply down into trance. Allowing your body to just feel relaxed, allowing your mind to relax, sinking even deeper down now, all the way down. That's right. And as you feel more relaxed, you might begin to feel that your limbs and your eyelids are just a little bit heavy. 
And while you remain safely and comfortably seated in your chair, sitting upright with your neck relaxed in its normal position on your shoulders, you might just allow that feeling of sinking down, that heaviness to settle over you. And you might even notice that it feels so heavy and so relaxed that it's almost as if there's a weight attached to each hand, making them feel so heavy that it feels even just a little bit difficult to lift them. And you'll know deep down that you can lift them if you really want to, and that your safe words are accessible and that they'll come automatically out of your mouth if you need them. But I'm betting that if you even just try to lift your arms a little bit, you'll feel just how heavy they are. Feel that resistance. And then, allowing that weight to lift. And allowing your mind and your body to drift back up, up. Becoming more and more aware of your surroundings so that you know in a moment when I snap my fingers, you'll become completely alert and aware and come completely up and out of trance with all of your memories intact in three, two, one, release. How was that? (laughs) Okay, that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, come on, you gotta tell our listeners. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, sorry, not a visual medium. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I can see your face look kind of slacked and trancy, yeah. but, um, <laughs> well, no, like, uh, you know, I, I have ADHD. So like at, right when we first started, like it was a little hard, like I was focusing on like the lag of the, of the pocket watch as opposed to like the pocket watch itself. But, but then like, you know, you were starting to like suggest the, the, the eye closing. And I was like, yeah. That seems like a good idea. Sure. That's totally my idea. Um, and then, because <laughs> um, like I've done like meditation before. I don't know why I put that in quotes. Um, I put, I've done meditation, but like guided meditation before. And that, that I think that has a similar um, feeling, but like I have, I, I, I still, I'm still very ADHD with it. And so like, once you had me in it, um, like it was almost hard not to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like you were talking about the, like the weights on the arms and like, I sort of felt like almost like a string was suddenly on the arm. It was, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> was, yep. You're like, yep. <laughs> it's like magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just to kind of break down for folks what actually happened. So we did a pocket watch induction mm-hmm. and there are lots of different types of inductions to help people drop themselves into trance. And I'm choosing that language very carefully because it is, you know, a person dropping themselves into trance mm-hmm. with a little bit of guidance. And so, you know, we did a, a sort of classic eye fixation induction and then we had you drop down into trance. Are you feeling trancey as I'm explaining it? I mean, I, I'm definitely <laughs> feeling a little... Like I'm, I'm like, I'm having to like, because your eyelids are starting to droop a little bit. (laughs) This could be really fun for you. Um, and for me, (laughs) uh, no, like, yeah, Um, I'm definitely feeling, still feeling a little floaty for sure. 
Well, take your time. Um, I'm going to explain to folks what happened while you collect your faculties. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, so what I was observing, because you kind of explained it from your perspective, as I was giving suggestions for you to feel relaxed, I did a couple of things. I reminded you that your safe words were accessible. Something that we didn't talk about in detail, one of the safety things is that some people, when they drop into trance, they flop forward Mm -hmm. and they fall. So I was very cautious to include language about how you would stay sitting in a comfortable position in your seat mm-hmm. because if I hadn't and you had been a floppy person, you, I might have watched you on the screen and I wouldn't have been able to catch you because I'm all the way over here on the east Yeah, coast. well, I, I did want to kind of, because like, um, what, then we talked about like the showmen of like people who like were up there like, show, like, like I was, I wanted to be prepared and so like I, 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 I like I specifically sat back in my chair um, so that like yeah. if it did, if it did work and it did, um, that I, 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 w- I wouldn't flop in some, you know, dangerous way or roll or whatever. So, yep. So you took precautions and so did I with my suggestions mm-hmm. and you did not flop on your first trance. And I don't believe any injury was had, no, correct? No, no injuries were had. <laughs> yep. Checking in. Good. You know, as you were sinking down into trance, the concept of eye fixation with the pocket watch, if you actually start a little bit above somebody's gaze, mm-hmm. naturally they're sort of looking up. And so it becomes harder and harder to follow it. And their eyes naturally sort of want to close. Mm-hmm. And so you're playing with that a little bit. Uh, and then once you were showing signs of being in trance, your eyes were closed and your face looked really relaxed. You can court, sort of tell looking at somebody. So I'm sort of just describing mm-hmm. it for folks who couldn't see you. But then, you know, you can do your suggestions. And so in our case, we just did something which is a convincer, which is something that allows a person to feel a little bit of sensation um, and to recognize that they were in fact in trance. And then just sort of guiding you back up. It's nice to do it kind of gradually. So it's not abrupt. You can do it abruptly. And that can be really fun too to sort of toggle someone between up and down. And that's a really good way to get somebody really fractionated really fast. Um, I do it to Panda all the time. I feel like one time we did this thing with like virtual like face slaps. I was like, every time I clap my hands, it'll be like a face slap and one side is down and one side is up. And, um, you know, so I mean, you can really get creative with it. Um, We call it the principle of utilization. You can use anything for anything. And so you can do physical sensations, you can induce emotions like excitement, like fear, like arousal, you know, all of these things you can encourage with suggestions. And it's all done very simply in the same way that we did, you know, your arms feel a little bit heavy. Mm-hmm. That's where the magic starts. <laughs> magic. And I am honored to have done your first trance and I'm so glad it was successful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was definitely interesting. I, uh, I'm also remembering that I, I was at some summer camp and some dude was doing it. To, it was definitely kind of his, his party trick to like hypnotize people. And yeah, like it, it. I don't remember any details from that, but like it was just yeah. Like I, sorry, I'm I'm rambly. Um, but yeah. Well, so describe what that feeling. Do you feel like? And I mean, we just did down and up, but it was your first time. I mean, do you feel like a little altered? Yeah. No. I. I it's definitely like I. Um, yesterday, um, I had a massage, and I'm having a very similar experience of after like being face first in the like the little face donut that you do that you're in when you do a massage and like the first time when they like ask you to roll over and you have to like move i'm having that kind of Mm -hmm. similar feeling of like kind of being a little dazed also 
the masseuse tried to ask me questions and I'm like, I cannot talk right now. What are you doing to me? Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely have a, having a similar, like trying to catch my brain up with my mouth. Well, I won't keep you too much longer then so that we can make sure you're taken care of That's right. and that you don't say anything on the, the podcast that you don't intend to say, but um, oh, I'm just, oh, I have the, I have the CIA <laughs> secrets that I, I must, I must tell the world. <laughs> no. But I mean, do you want to like rate your experience, you know, um, like how you imagined it would be versus how it was? I mean, that kind of thing. I mean, I definitely had a little skepticism because like I said, like I, I am very ADHD and the idea of having somebody like focus my brain is, is, it's kind of a, it's magical. It's like a mysticism. I was like, nope, nobody can tell. It's magic. Nobody can tell my brain to <laughs> shut up. What are you talking about? I, I don't know if I'm going to rate it because that sounds rude, but it was, it was definitely interesting. And it's definitely <laughs> something that like this entire time, that's like, like we kind of talked about it. Like I was kind of talking about me topping with it, but now I'm like, oh, now I kind of want to find something to top me more. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't imagining like five stars. I should have phrased that differently. Like, can you compare your expectations to what it really felt Oh, like? no, I, like, I'm. Did I, Sunny, get a five star experience? Uh, yeah. Let me, let me get my Yelp, Yelp app open and I will, I will rate Sunny Lee Main on. Wait, wait. Before you give the rating, let me drop you and suggest what I should be given. Yeah. Mm, I think there's some ethics involved in that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was definitely really good. Um, and it, it definitely exceeded ex- my expectations. So yeah. I'm glad. And now you're going to be hooked. You're going to be like, I'm going to learn all about hypnosis. No, I'm, I'm already like, cause like I said, like I do know a couple people now I'm like, I have to find them and message them and be like, Hey, are there things happening? I want in. With that hypnotic music, I can only imagine it's time for Hypno Story. Next up, we have Hypno Story, he, they, and now that you've had a little taste of beginner hypnosis, they're going to talk about another amazing advanced topic that focuses on one of the amazing places you can take hypnosis when you have some experience. So, In kink, there are many types of headspaces that can be achieved without hypnosis. I'm talking about subspace, you know, for a well-known example, and then, you know, more specific or nuanced headspaces, things like little space, pet space, doll space, predator or prey space, primal play, just to name a few. And hypnosis can be used to help people get into these headspaces or even create headspaces. But before we dig into that, can you touch on just sort of the similarities between trance and regular subspace? Sure. So the first thing I'll say is that this is a little bit controversial in the hypno community, that there are people who say subspace is hypnosis. There are people who say subspace has nothing to do with hypnosis. But I think both of those are pretty unusual opinions. And the most common opinion is that hypnosis and subspace are, let's say, close cousins. That, you know, that to me, trance is sort of a half step to the left from subspace, that it can feel very similar uh, to some people. And, um, and it's, 
often really easy if somebody is subspacey it's it's often really easy to get them into to trance if that's what you want to do and they're consenting to that of course because you're already in an altered state and once the state is altered it's often not that hard to move into sort of adjacent altered states you know that's sort of what we were talking about with enigma earlier and that if you're wondering sort of what trance might feel like people have regular experiences on a day-to-day basis that might not necessarily be hypnosis but that feel a little trancey and we talked about the one where you're driving and you're sort of on autopilot and your brain kind of tunes out the time between when you've started your car and arrived at work along your familiar route yeah or like if you are watching a movie and you're very involved in it or you're reading a book and you're very involved in it and you're so involved that you forget that you're reading a book or watching a movie that for a little while, all that you're aware of is the story. That's a type of a trance or that floaty feeling. If you're sort of not asleep, but not awake, you know, when you're like on your way to sleep or getting up in the morning, if you can wake up without an alarm and you're not like wide awake, you're just sort of floaty and drifting. And I mean, for some people, some of the time that has like actual sensations of floating. There's a lot of commonality between those kinds of experiences and what people generally experience in trance. So kind of circling back to headspaces, particularly kink headspaces, how would you go about guiding someone into a specific headspace as the hypnotist? So there's sort of two ways I would approach it, depending on the person's experience. If the person has been in that headspace before and is quite familiar with it, I'd go one way. And if they haven't, I would go another way. So if they've been in the state before, which is much easier, then generally what I would do is talk to them before the hypnosis about how do they know that they're in subspace? What does it feel like? What does it feel like in their body? What does it feel like in their mind? How does their posture change? How does their breathing change? Any kind of detail I can get about both their physiological and mental experience of it. And then we'll give suggestions about experiencing that kind of stuff again. And sometimes might even suggest that they go back in their mind to remember a time that they had that kind of experience. And then what's called revivify it, which is to say to put more energy into that and bring it forward into now so that they experience it again. So sort of asking people to think of a scene, for example, where they experienced that headspace really strongly, like think back to a time when you experienced this and how you felt in that moment. What did that feel like? Your Mm -hmm. brain kind of knows how to go back to that space. Exactly. Exactly. And so some combination of the revivification of experiences they've had in the past 
and maybe giving some specific suggestions if there are some key things where they say, you know, if they tell you, well, one of the ways I know I'm in subspace is I start to feel like I'm floating. I'm probably going to give them suggestions that are pretty explicitly about feeling like they're floating and some of those sorts of things. And then the, the other case where they haven't experienced before, then we need to sort of paint an experiential picture with hypnotic suggestions. And so how, and so then it's really about negotiating with them. How do they want to feel right? What is this thing that they're reaching for? So if they say, I want to feel subspace, then what you need to find out is what does subspace mean to them? Um, And then you can start to build suggestions around that. Now, when I think about this sort of thing, like using hypnosis for headspace, I think of a really close parallel with using hypnosis to induce certain emotional feelings. Like, for example, you want to do an intense fear play scene, and so you hypnotically turn up the dial on somebody's fear and arousal, for example. So those are pretty straightforward, like making someone feel um, or helping someone feel giggly or bubbly or fearful or aroused. Do you feel like this is significantly different And why would somebody, rather than just sort of playing with feelings, why would somebody want to do this kind of play? So I think it's not significantly different. I think you can pretty much treat them the same. And that, you know, like, I guess the answer to that question is to ask yourself, what's the difference between feeling submissive and being in subspace. And that I think that they are a little different and that the, the subspace, the, the, the mental state is a little more kind of global and a little more all consuming, but it can certainly be a significant, have a significant part of it be, the feelings of submission, but you can use the same kind of technique of, you know, turning up someone's pet feelings or turning up someone's subby feelings as a part of getting them into that headspace. And I actually really enjoy sometimes doing the reverse where like, for example, we talked about primal headspaces with predator and prey you know, you might do things to have the subject feel more like a prey, fearful, you know, flighty, whatever. But the other thing that you can sometimes do is hold, give hold on just a sec, because they need to know, the listeners need to know just how gleeful Sunny looked as she was describing making someone feel prey <laughs> feelings. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, yeah. We just needed to let them in on that because we can see each other while we're recording. And um, yeah. Yeah, I did actually almost like I lost my train of thought a little bit because my brain was going right down that rabbit hole. And I was like, yes, I do this a lot. Hence the incoherent 
<laughs> babbling. Um, but seriously, you know, you can do things like having your subject feel small, feel like a specific prey animal, feel like they want to run, but they're frozen in place. You can do things to help sort of encourage that headspace. But one of my favorite things to do is also to give suggestions that make me as the hypnotist seem like a scarier predator. So not only, you know, work on the prey headspace, but also perception that, you know, I'm embodying whatever they imagine for the opposite side of the slash. Absolutely. And by doing that, you're also kind of giving yourself suggestions, although it's not exactly hypnosis, that you're getting yourself more into that opposite headspace just by focusing on it. I mean, that was just what was happening, right? That for me to see that level of glee and Sonny's eyes lighting up (laughs) that as she was describing that she was accessing her kind of primal predator headspace. And I think that that's a, can, can be a really useful thing to think about is that for the person who's basically topping the scene, that, they're not just working with the headspace of their bottom, that they're also working with their own headspace at the same time. Absolutely. Like, I totally love to say things like, you know, even like, and when I smile at you, you'll know that I'm feeling particularly sadistic today. (laughs) That kind of thing. Because I'm a little evil. (laughs) Is there a day that you're not feeling particularly sadistic? Ah. If I'm in a totally different headspace myself, I might not. And I think that almost all of the time when I'm topping a scene, there's an element of that there. But on the rare occasions when I am bottoming a scene, like when Mac and I do hypnotic dolly play, I don't feel particularly sadistic. But I would say that that is the exception, and not the rule. Fair enough. All right. (laughs) I got to focus. I can't let my brain go like into naughty scene territory. Okay. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously there there are lots of reasons why you might want to do this. And some that come to mind for me are somebody wants to experience a headspace that they haven't before. And usually I find that that's more about sort of a hang up in their own mind that they are worried that they don't know what it feels like. And so you can do something like that. Or like maybe you're doing like a switchy scene and you want to enhance feelings of being on the other side of the slash. Maybe you're switching, but it's not your usual dynamic and you want to play with that. That could be a really fun reason. Why else? It can also be really fun just to really intensify the experience that particularly if pandas had a long day or a difficult day at work and is maybe having a little trouble shifting out of work brain that sometimes a very intentional scene that we're putting her into a different headspace, you know, a pet's, pet space or just subspace can be a lovely way to help her brain really shift gears. Um, Or if it's just 
like a way of transitioning from we've been negotiating as equals at a con or something. And now I'm going to play with somebody that to start by kind of directly building the headspace sometimes can get us a kind of kickstart to where we want to go. That's a great point. I think often we want to focus on the really fun, sexy parts, but I always like to come in with a little bit of discussion about some of the risks involved and how to mitigate those. So when you are altering somebody's headspace with hypnosis, what are some of the considerations? Well, think about how much your headspace can affect your perception of the world and your interaction with reality outside of kink right? If you, at least for a lot of people, if they have, let's say, a really bad interaction or difficult interaction at work, and they're really upset, they may not be driving safely, right? Because their head isn't there. And they might take much larger risks than they normally would or misjudge how risky a particular thing is. So that's all stuff to be aware of. But also, headspace can be an amplifier, right? So sometimes in a particular headspace, somebody might feel much, much more vulnerable. Or like kind of whatever they're feeling can get a lot bigger. So if it kind of goes sideways it can go sideways faster and bigger when we're amplifying the headspace. And so being aware of like, okay, we're talking about how to get into the headspace. How do we get out of that headspace if we need to, right? What if we're in the middle of a pet play scene and the person is deep in pet space and the fire alarm goes off. Right. So what we want to do is ground them back in their body and remind them that everything can come back to normal and to be aware of the room of how they're giving their weight to the earth is language I often use or how the chair or the bed or the whatever is supporting their weight to hear the sound of the air conditioner in the background, like to get them into their sensory experience of the now um, is the fastest way in most cases to get people out in a kind of gentle way. I have heard that dumping cold water on someone will take them out in a much less gentle way. Uh, I've never tried that and I don't really want to, but in general, it's about grounding them back in their body so that they can interact with the world from a more typical kind of normal consciousness kind of place. And actually what you're saying about the cold water, it sounds kind of dramatic holding onto an ice cube or splashing cold water on your face is actually a really common therapeutic technique that's used for folks who are dissociating due to trauma. And so for the same reason, you're trying to ground yourself 
back in your body and pull yourself back into the present moment using a really intense physical sensation. So I'm not surprised that that works, but being doused with freezing water is also pretty unpleasant. So, you know, unless it was like an extreme circumstance, I'm thinking that would probably not be my favorite way to be pulled up and out. <laughs> no, no, that's, um, I, I would agree. Although the, but effective. And the idea that it doesn't have to be dousing them with cold water, right? That something like an ice cube could be enough. That that's a lot less dramatic and also right. easier to clean up. <laughs> and, you know, I think this is one of those things where we should always talk about an ounce of prevention because anytime that you're playing with somebody's emotions or their headspace or that sort of thing, I always like to include things like you'll experience this to the degree which it feels fun and sexy for you. And I think that when you include some stuff like that, sometimes you can kind of take a preventative step. Um, and I mean, we practice risk-aware consensual kink, risk-aware consensual hypnosis. Things can always go sideways even when you do the best planning possible. But I definitely think it's worth sometimes building some of that stuff in. And it's why hypnotic agency skills are so important, right? Because if you're playing with somebody who already has skills and has the experience of knowing that they can modify suggestions themselves if they need to, or cancel suggestions themselves if they need to, that that gives them a lot of tools to keep themselves safe. You'd be so proud of me. I was talking about that with Enigma earlier. And when I am <laughs> being asked questions, like technical questions about hypnosis, I sometimes hear you in the back of my brain, like, like, don't say that. <laughs> or like, don't forget to say this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. The brainwashing is working. <laughs> no, because I have significant agency. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's great. <laughs> That's great. All right. So, you know, we've talked about sort of why people might want to do this, some of the risks and benefits, some of the different headspaces like that to kind of take this out. Why don't we each talk about one example of a scene that we've done or do on a regular basis with altered headspace stuff? Sure. So, Should I go first or do you want to go first? I'll, I'll go first. Okay. We uh, with Panda we do a fair amount of pet headspace uh, play and, you know, we can do it in a bunch of different ways, but at this point, Panda has so much experience with that headspace that I can just give a couple of very simple suggestions about just feeling itself turn into its puppy state uh, or even if we're playing and, and Panda's really receptive to suggestions, all I have to do is look at it with intent and say, you're a Panda. And that will put it in a Panda headspace where it will be very cute and usually paw at me and then tip over because that's what pandas do. Um, it is most and, cute. <laughs> and we've built it that way. Like that's a thing we built, although the you're a panda is not an explicit trigger. It's just we've set it up 
that that's what that headspace is and that's what it does. And similarly, we've played around a lot with Panda's puppy headspace. And so it becomes very fluid and easy to access. I have witnessed this. It is most cute. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, I already talked a little bit about the primal stuff, but on my side of things, one of the clearest examples would probably be the dolly play that I do with Mac. And I've talked about this before, so I won't dig super deeply into it, but, you know, writing a story about hypnotic dollification and with Mac being familiar with that story and me having written it, we both have a very clear idea in our mind about what we are hoping to achieve, like what doll space would look like ideally to serve our fun and kinky, sexy purposes. So, you know, for me, it's one of the few types of play that I actually do with hypnosis as a bottom. And so thinking about how I feel differently you know, it's, it's definitely a mind and body experience. I feel more rigid in my body. I feel that I cannot move of my own accord that when my limbs are posed, you know, at bendable joints that they retain that position unless they're moved again, that sort of thing. And the longer I sink into it, the the deeper I sort of sink into that headspace of feeling like more plastic, more of an object, that sort of thing. And so whenever we do a dolly scene, we have a very simple trigger that sort of switches gears in my brain between human and doll. And we've chosen to keep it so that even in doll space, I'm completely sensory aware. So, you know, physical sensations of things that are, for example, being done to me, I still feel. If somebody's pouring wax on me, I still feel the wax hitting my skin, that sort of thing, but can't outwardly respond. And so, you know, that's a very unique headspace that's part, I feel like a doll. And it's also like a very deep headspace of, I guess, really, the the only thing that I ever feel that remotely resembles any kind of subspace. Because for me, you know, I want to be in control pretty much all the time. And unless I'm in a space in my head where I feel like, you know, not only do I have zero control whatsoever over my body, but also like not really any control over my mind. I can't get anywhere near anything that resembles subspace. So it's definitely like a CNC sort of situation. And all of this has been extremely carefully negotiated, but it's definitely unique for me. Um, And a relief and a release once in a while when you have control in all things all the time to give it up you know, it's time limited power exchange for a very brief space of time. And it is beautiful to watch because your whole body changes. The moment that trigger takes effect, that the muscles in your face behave differently, like your whole posture changes and that there's all of this external stuff that becomes very, very visible to somebody who's watching you. Yeah, seeing a video of myself in that space was for the first time was a really weird experience. It was sort of like dissociative because I know what I feel like in my head and seeing what it looks like from an outside perspective, that was definitely interesting. But I did enjoy watching it. (laughs) It did not ruin the play for me. I thought it was pretty cool. So, And actually, we've been developing a 
a new dolly play class. And we've touched on dollification, Mac and I, in some of the classes that we teach, but it's been sort of more of a, a brief mention in the mix with other things. And so we're actually working on a class that is specifically about dollification and not just hypnotic, but also like role play forms and other types of things. So, yeah. That's awesome. I would, by the way, treat this as edgier, riskier play than some other kinds of hypno things. And so this is not something I would do with somebody the first time I meet them, particularly if they don't have a lot of experience. You know, this is not something I would tend to go into a lot of big, heavy headspace manipulation uh, in a pickup play kind of context. Now, everything, you know, everything varies. That might I do a pickup play scene with somebody I only play with occasionally, but that I know really well, and that has been an experienced hypnosis bottom for 10 years. Yeah, that might be something that we might negotiate and do. But it's something to just realize that you're playing with relatively powerful stuff here, and that it can be wonderful to do. But to make sure that you have a really solid foundation of trust and rapport and negotiation and communication before you go there and to be prepared for there to be uh, some fairly significant aftercare needs. All right. So hopefully folks with today's episode have had a chance to hear a little bit about where you can start with hypnosis as a brand new beginner and, you know, some of the more advanced and a little bit edgier stuff that you can do with a lot of time and practice and always with consent and negotiation. Thanks for having this talk with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, as always, for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts, or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnyleemain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and you join us again next time.